want to tell you about uh, two people right here at the beginning. First, Peter Wagner. From 1956 until 1971, the Wagners were missionaries with the South American Mission and Andes Evangelical Mission where they ministered in Bolivia. Then in 1971, Wagner became a professor of church growth at the School of World Mission at Fuller Theological Seminary, and he and Donald McGavran established the school as a popular and influential organization uh, within Christian movements internationally. In 1981, Wagner replaced McGavran as the head of the faculty of the School of World Mission at Fuller. He has a BS from Rutgers, Rutgers University. He has an MDiv from Fuller Theological Seminary. He has an MTH from Princeton. He has an MA from Fuller. And he has a PhD from the University of Southern California. Okay? C. Peter Wagner has some credibility. Then I want to tell you about John Vaughn. Vaughn is the founder and director of Church Growth Today, a center for the studying of, tr- of growing churches. He's written about six books on church growth. He is a Southern Baptist, uh, ordained since 1960. He has uh, a DMIN from Fuller Seminary, an MDiv from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, and a BA from the University of Memphis. The reason I mention these two guys, Cedar, C. Peter Wagner and Jonathan Vaughn, is because of this story. This comes from a book by Daniel Langford talking about pastors' families. And it says, Peter Wagner tells about an incident that Professor John Vaughn experienced on a flight in the United States of America. Vaughn noticed a man sitting next to him who was in earnest prayer. On inquiry, it appeared that the man was a Satanist, and he was commissioned to pray for the fall of Christian leaders and for the collapse of their marriages in New England. In the same book, Wagner writes about a minister in Ontario who spoke about the many Satanist attacks on ministers while he was there. One particular Satanist cell was honored because during the previous year they were instrumental in making five prominent spiritual leaders fall into immorality, thus contributing to the breakup of their marriages. Wagner also writes of Bill McRae, Chancellor of Ontario Bible College and Ontario Theological Seminary. McRae stated to Wagner that when he had been pastor of North Park Community Church in London, Ontario, he'd been told that there were Satanists in his community who were praying for the elimination of evangelical leaders through marriage and family breakdown. On one occasion, McRae went into a restaurant and observed a group of people praying in a corner booth. He introduced himself as a fellow Christian, but the individuals identified themselves as members of the Church of Satan who were praying for the destruction of a certain pastor in the community. Now the reason I told you about Wagner's credentials, the reason I told you about the credentials of John Vaughn right from the beginning, is that you hear a story like this and you almost can't believe it. And you wonder if it can possibly be credible. But it is. 
while I was doing research trying to track down the authenticity of these stories, I ran across this. A few months ago, I preached an evangelistic crusade with Pastor Ed Jansen, First Baptist Church of Kennett, Missouri. He told me about his previous church in Oklahoma where a witch had targeted him and his church. A beautiful young married woman named TJ called their prayer hotline asking for help. Ed attempted to help over the phone for several weeks. She would not give her address or phone number at first. Eventually, she scheduled an office appointment with the pastor. He wisely did not receive her privately, but kept his office door open with his minister of music eavesdropping in the next room. She claimed to have a drug problem and openly admitted that she'd been involved with the occult. Ed wisely got his wife, Judy, involved with counseling TJ. This seemingly troubled lady would come to their home while on drugs Uh, Ed and Judy continued to love her. She eventually pretended to make a profession of faith in Christ and was baptized into the church. Then she began to make sexual advances toward Ed. He immediately cut off her access to him and his family. After she moved to Florida, she called Ed and told him the whole thing had been a sham. TJ's husband was in the military, often moving from town to town, but was not aware of the occult activity of her of. His wife, her brother, who was head of a witch's coven in Florida, had assigned her the job of attacking particular churches and pastors in every city to which she moved. She said that Ed and his church were her assigned target in this town. She admitted that even the profession of faith in Christ was a sham to try to entrap him. Wow. One story? Maybe you can dismiss that. Story after story after story? And you begin to think that just maybe there's some truth to it. And it doesn't surprise me. We are fooling ourselves if we think that there is no source of temptation and power in our universe that wants to see us fall. There is. And I don't say that as some uneducated, uh, backwoods, believe anything kind of individual. My sense is that there is, in fact, evil in our world. My sense is that Satan himself would love to see us fall. Last week, we talked about temptation. We talked about taking temptation seriously because we need to. This week, I told you I was going to give you a strategy for overcoming temptation. And the first point, if you look at your outline, and I think you've got outlines. If you don't, raise your hand and we can get you one. There's a few that don't have them up here. Ernie, there's one over here. Hold, go ahead and put your hand up and continue to hold it up if you don't have an outline. And we'll make sure you have them, okay? Last week, we talked about this strategy, or I'm sorry, we talked about temptation and taking it seriously. Because it is just as I described. If there isn't a determined attack on the part of Satanist believers themselves, we know that there's at least a determined attack on the part of Satan to do evil in our world. 
And somehow we as Christians are going to have to stand against this. And so again, looking at the outline, I want to talk this morning about a strategy for overcoming temptation. And the first point needs to be this. You'll see a blank there that needs to be filled in. The first point needs to be to take seriously the horrors of sin and temptation. Didn't you just kind of have a shiver almost go down your spine as I was talking about people praying for the fall of those who are in Christian ministry? Like there is something incredibly evil about that. It's amazing to me. There's a part of that that frightens me to think that someone out there is trying to get me, trying to convince me to fall. And it should scare you too, because while they may not be praying for everybody to fall, I guarantee you Satan wants you to fall. There is, in fact, a battle, a spiritual battle that goes on for our lives. And sometimes we can't see it, but sometimes it it becomes crystal clear that there is an evil force that wants Christians to not do God's will. He wants us to fall. He wants to convince us to be something other than what Christ wants us to be. And we need to take it seriously. We need to take it seriously because it's frightening. It's fraught with danger. And we are too lax. We buy into the notion that sin is, uh, is somehow something to be joked about. We buy into the notion that those of us who might stand up and say that sin is evil and that there are evil forces in our world are simply prudes. Or those who are alarmist. And I don't think that we're just prudes. I don't think that we're just alarmists. I think that what we need is to be on guard. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Even in the process of trying to help others be what they need to be in Christ, we have the chance to follow ourselves, and we could well. Second point on the outline. Secondly, recognize the dangerous realities of our situation. Recognize the dangerous realities of our situation. And the first point under that is, we are all vulnerable. Watch and pray, Jesus says in Matthew 26, 41, so that you'll not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Do you know who Jesus said that to? Like he's in the garden. It's the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is about to be crucified. He says... Pray that you won't fall into temptation. Who is it that Jesus says that to when he says, pray that you won't fall into into temptation? The apostles, the disciples. But even better than that, there were three that he said that to. They had already moved away from the crowd. Jesus already had his three select brothers with him when he says, pray that you won't fall into temptation. It's Peter, it's James, and it's John. The closest followers of Jesus. John, the one who says, I was his beloved one. And Jesus has to say to them, you, brothers, you who have been so close to me and spent so much time with me, you who know me so well, you need to pray that you won't fall into temptation. Well, I got to tell you, if Peter, 
and James and John can be tempted. If there's the possibility for those who stand right next to the Lord can fall and need to pray, then I can fall because we're all vulnerable. Number two there underneath that point, it's the human condition to be vulnerable. It's the human condition to be vulnerable. It's, the part of what it, it's part of what it means to be in the flesh. Being human means to entertain evil or ungodly desires. That's just part of what it means for us. There are times when we're going to be tempted. James 1 through 13 and 14, we already read this this morning. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. And I'm convinced that there's a part of us, that fleshly part of us, that is just willing and desiring to give in to temptation. And don't you know... That Satan just loves it. He has a ready and willing audience by nature. We are people who tend to fall. It's been that way from the beginning. And he knows that he's got a ready and willing audience. And he just wants to to tempt us. He just wants to put us in circumstances of temptation because he knows that our desires will take us to exactly that place. And that means that we've got to be strong. Number three, there is an ungodly evil force in our universe that desires that we fall and who is set against us using the realities of our human condition. And so he's in cooperation with our fleshly natures to draw us Away. First Peter 5.8, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith. There is a positive attempt by the evil forces in our universe to sway you and me from being what God wants us to be. Now, at this point in the sermon, we're a third of the way into it. By this point, people's minds begin to wander. Well, let me exhort you not to let your mind wander. Because there is a prowling lion who wants you to wander. There's a positive force. There's a proactive element. Seeking to take you away from what God wants you to be. And you can allow your mind to wander right now. Or you could allow your mind to wander during the week. And let me tell you that at the moment that you do, the moment that you take your eyes off of Christ, you become vulnerable. All of a sudden, that's exactly what he wants. He wants you as this fleshly human being with the desires that are already there. He wants to grab you and entice you and to do something with you. And we need to be vigilant. We need to be Diligent. Second Corinthians one fourteen and fifteen says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. There are sources out there that look even good, and he wants to take us away from God. Now, in the midst of all of that, there's nonetheless something very encouraging. Number four, we have the ability to overcome temptation. We are not powerless. We know this is true. 
First Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. First John 4.4 4 says, You dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And if you were to look at Romans chapter 8, you see that the Holy Spirit comes to the Christian and empowers us and enables us to say no to sin and yes to God because the Spirit is alive within us. And so despite 1, 2, and 3, which make it look pretty dark for us, there is in fact number 4 where we have some power to overcome the evil one. Now the question is, how are we going to do it? How is it that we can actually overcome temptation in our lives? And this is absolutely pertinent because it's going to happen to you and you know it. Last week I said to all of you, hey, Think for a moment about the thing which to you is most tempting. And I gave you a few seconds to think about it. And my guess is that everybody in the room could think of something that is the most tempting thing for you. And you know what it is now because you just thought of it again. How is it that we're going to be free from giving in to this temptation? Well, on your outline, letter C. Thirdly, Meditate on, consider the personhood of Jesus. That's the first thing. Meditate on and consider the personhood of Jesus. Hebrews 2.18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. And Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And the point here is that Jesus was completely human, just like you and me. And if Jesus was completely human, it means he was tempted just like you and me. It means that Satan was after him just like he's after you and me. But Jesus didn't fall. Praise the Lord, Jesus didn't fall. Think, then, about who Jesus is. Meditate on Christ. Follow his ways. There is something positive about Jesus and the way he lived in this world that allows him to overcome sin. Letter D on the outline. Make temptation and overcoming it a constant subject of your prayer life. Make temptation and overcoming it a constant subject of your prayer life. Is it any surprise that Jesus, when he's in the garden, tells the disciples that he wants them to pray that they shouldn't be tempted. Is it any surprise that Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, and does so right in the middle of a prayer? God suggests that we stop and pray. And so the strong piece of advice here is, when you find yourself tempted, when you are weary when you feel like you're going to give in, that's the time on which you need to go to your knees and pray and beg God to assist you in the midst of your temptation. And I believe with all of my heart that God will bless you and he will answer your prayer and the Holy Spirit will be there accessible to you so that you need not fall. We don't have to give in to temptation. We can pray and in the process of praying, God will bless us. In the garden, Jesus tells the disciples to pray. But what does he himself do? 
What does he do when he's faced with the cross? What does he do when he's tempted, he himself says, to give up? He even prays, Lord, let this cup pass from me. But he ultimately says, not my will, but yours be done. And he prays. And I believe that our Father blessed him with the ability to go to the cross. Letter F or E. Letter E. Count yourselves dead to sin. I want you to turn to Romans 6 if you have a Bible. We'll read these verses together. I regard these verses as some of the most important verses in the New Testament. Romans chapter 6. If you ever think to yourself, how is it that I'm going to get out of the rut that I'm in? How is it that I'm going to overcome sin in my life? How can I somehow conquer temptation? How can I move past my addiction into a life that God wants me to live? Look at verse 11 and 12 first of all. In the same way, he says, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its evil desires. The first step there is to count yourselves dead to sin. Recognize what it is that Jesus has done for you. He doesn't just forgive sin. He says he makes us dead to sin. And the only way that you can go from dead to sin to being live to sin and allowing sin to exist is to not recognize what you have in Christ, namely your deadness to sin. Have this attitude and count yourselves, he says, as dead to sin. And then letter F goes right along with it. Intentionally, purposefully, consciously offer yourself to God. Look at verse 13 again in Romans 6. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you're not under law but under grace. And the the point is, is that God has done something for you, in you, and our response is to offer ourselves to him. You remember that song that Amy Grant used to sing? I'm uh, I'm yours, Lord, everything I've got, everything I am, and everything I've got not. I'm yours, Lord, try me now and see, try if I can't be completely yours. When she says, I'm yours, Lord, everything I am, everything I've got, the point is that she offers herself, we'd like to think, completely to God the way that Paul has described. And when we talk about overcoming sin and overcoming temptation, one of the huge, huge steps that a Christian can take is to simply say to God, as we all need to say, Lord, I am completely yours. My heart is completely yours. My life is completely yours. I give myself completely to you. And Paul says that upon offering ourselves to God in that way, we don't give ourselves to sin, but to God. And sin is overcome. And so one of the questions we have to ask this morning is, have we offered ourselves completely to God? Because when we do, God does something within us.
Letter G. Make scripture part of your intellectual fabric. Make scripture part of your intellectual fabric. And what I mean is this. Do you remember the temptation of Christ? Do you remember how it's the Holy Spirit that leads Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan? That's that's startling. The Holy Spirit leads Jesus out into the desert to be tempted by Satan. Why would the Holy Spirit do that? Well, no doubt, because Jesus has some things that need to be perfected in his life. Satan comes and tempts him. And we've heard the sermon a million times. How is it that, that Jesus overcomes temptation? Well, he keeps quoting scripture. He keeps quoting the Bible. And that's why I say make it part of your intellectual fabric. Because it's clear to me that it was part of the intellectual fabric of Jesus. That when Jesus is confronted with Satan, he knows exactly what to do. He quotes scripture. He knows scripture. It lives in his heart. And because of that, he's strong. And he's able to say no to the tempter. Because scripture lived within him and was transforming him, making him all that he should be. We need to make scripture part of our intellectual fabric if we're going to fight off the attacks of Satan. Letter H. Rely on your brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen to these words. This is Matthew 26, verses 36 through 38. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Okay, again, Jesus is in the garden. He's tempted. He's on the way to the cross. And he says, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, listen to these words. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. That's amazing. Here's Jesus on his way to the cross. And he says to the three best friends that he has in the world, keep watch with me. I need you. I don't think he's just saying, keep watch, they're coming to arrest me. I think he's saying, keep watch over my life. He's already told them to pray. He wants them to be praying for him even as they pray for themselves because Jesus himself needs them and wants them to watch with him. You know, sometimes, folks, we are so hesitant to tell other people, our brothers and sisters in Jesus, that we're being tempted. We don't like to do that. There's a sense of weakness about that. I don't want my brother or sister in Christ to know that I have the potential to fall. I don't want them to know that I'm tempted by sin. I don't want them to know how weak I am. Well, I'll tell you what, they already know. Do you think they don't know? Do you think that the people in this room look at you and they think, ha, he's never tempted. Ron Bailey never has a sin cross his mind. There's just no way. Curtis, you lead worship. You couldn't possibly be tempted by sin. You think maybe you're the only one in the room who's really tempted by sin and so you don't want to share that fact with somebody else? We need to share with one another and ask them to bless us and pray for us, to encourage us and strengthen us. 
Satan is like a roaring lion out there seeking somebody to devour. What are we going to do? Ignore that reality because we're afraid to share with someone else the fact that we might be tempted? And what if, as Paul says in Galatians 6.1, we catch somebody in sin? Or what if we catch somebody tempted to sin? What if you see somebody that you think is just on the verge of sinning? Well, what if it was a real lion? What would you do if some blessed friend of yours was walking down the path and you could see that there was a lion crouching around the corner ready to devour him or her? Would you just be quiet? He'll be okay. Or, I don't want to get involved. Or, he might think badly of me if I say something. He'll think that I think he's a sinner. Duh. Of course you think he's a sinner. And of course you recognize the possibility of him being tempted to sin. Because that's who we are. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 3.5, For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. He sends Timothy because he's afraid they might be tempted. We read elsewhere that Timothy is, Paul says, I have no one like Timothy. Nobody cares for you the way that Timothy does. He sends Timothy because he wants Timothy to help the brothers and sisters to not be overcome by temptation. Well, there you go. Ways to overcome temptation. What will be sad is if after a couple of sermons, time spent thinking about this, ruminating on temptation and for a moment recognizing that we could be tempted, what will be sad is if we don't take it seriously. If we don't recognize how crucial it is for us to be on guard and to recognize this prowling lion who seeks to devour us and the power we have to overcome his clutches. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you and thank you for the power we have to overcome temptation. But God, we also recognize the circumstances in which we find ourselves. We know that Satan hates us. We know that the thief comes only to kill and to steal and to destroy. And God, we want to see no one from among us fall. And so we pray that you would open our eyes to the realities around us. Help us to see the power that's available, the temptations that are really there. Father, we've talked about ways this morning that we can overcome temptation. God, help us to look to Jesus. Help us to pray. Help us to rely on Scripture. Help us to rely on others. Help us to recognize what it is that we have in you and to offer ourselves, to offer our hearts and our lives to you and to overcome sin in that way. God, we know that you're with us. We know that the one who is in us is greater than he who is in the world and we pray that you'd bless us today that we'd be able to stand strong for you, in you, blessed by your spirit. It's through Christ that we pray this morning. Amen.